Welcome to the Transformation Talks podcast, in-depth conversations on transformation with Rajiv Dingra, founder and CEO of RDNX Network. Hello and welcome to Transformation Talks podcast. Today we have an exciting guest with us, Rishad Tobakowala, uh, someone who has 38 years of advertising and marketing experience with him. And uh, he has been uh, leading a role across agencies like Leo Burnett and Publicis. His last role was the chief growth officer at Publicis. And uh, after uh, moving on from there, he is an advisor, author, uh, also a mentor, uh, and someone who writes very passionately about the future, about disruption, about transformation, about deep tech, about future of work. Uh, he is also an author and has written a book about uh, restoring the soul of business. We'll talk a lot of more about that with him. Firstly, welcome Rishad on Transformation Talks. Thank you for inviting me and I am very happy to be here. So Rishad, kicking off, you know, we have seen 2020, uh, a year like no other over the last decade. What did you make of 2020 and what you saw? Uh, and what are your early thoughts entering 2021? So 2020, which will be marked as the year of COVID, and at least the first half of 2021 will also be marked as, you know, the 18 months of COVID and hopefully no more than 24 months, um, really is about something that I have not seen and many of us have not seen in at least the last four decades. Um, there are sometimes people who refer to this as the Great Recession 2.0 or they hark back to shocks like 9-11 or others. Uh, this is very different. It is far more significant, far more deeper and far more likely to end up with some significant structural changes. And why do I say so? First, this is something that is not just a financial shock or a health shock or a social shock. It's all of those combined. That's number one. Number two, unlike many of the previous challenges and crises, at least in the last 40 years, this is totally global in nature, touching everybody. And the third, is it is not a moment in time, like let's say 9-11 was or something like that. It is going on for at least 18 months all over the world, you know, with the exception of maybe China and a few other places. So when you basically have something like this, it changes people's behaviors. When people start or stop doing something for six months, nine months, 12 months, their behaviors get changed. They start behaving in different ways. So I basically forecast that coming out of this, we are not going to be entering a new normal. We're going to be entering a new strange. There are going to be behaviors that are different than going in. That anybody who's written a business plan dated 2019, December, needs to revisit it. And we should think about the great reinvention of business, society, and individuals. That's amazing. You know. Rishad, one uh, line that uh, stayed with me 
when I was going through your blog, uh, and for our listeners, it's rishad.substack.com, uh, is the future does not fit in the containers of the past. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, are comparing this pandemic to the one that happened 100 years ago, uh, right? Uh, and uh, of course, it's, it's a different, it's 100 years ago. It, 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 I don't know how you compare that. But uh, let's understand from your perspective, uh, you, you're saying it's going to be the new strange. Um, how could you, could you, given what you have seen over the last one year, uh, from a business and marketing, advertising, and maybe even a work, future of work standpoint. Can you uh, point out some markers that you believe are going to contribute that strange sure. aspect? So I will do it at three different levels. I will do it at the society level. And again, I'm generalizing around the world, and there are obviously differences unique to particular countries. But broadly, the first thing is from a society perspective, there's going to be a newfound appreciation for government. So countries like in the West are beginning to realize that demeaning government, not funding government eventually ends up to bite you. And I think that's going to be one. So people are going to look that the countries that tended to do these better had governments that were trusted, governments that were competent. So the first part of it is government is likely to come back versus be in decline. The other part of it is people are going to ask, in a society, why are things so unequal? And why is it that 10 to 15% of every country's society benefited and about 30 to 40% actually got much worse off? And so there is going to be a call for, I would say, higher taxes, greater union power. These are differences that people are not expecting but are likely to happen all over the world. So you're going to see stronger unions, more effort on labor, stronger government. That's one. From a business perspective, including work perspective, you're going to basically see companies trying to make sure that they now have stronger balance sheets than they had in the past try to pay off any debts that they may have taken and begin to recognize that work can become flexible. They're gonna realize that it's not necessarily just variable revenue that matters, but variable costs. The difference between an Uber and a Hertz is Hertz owns all of its assets and it has employees. Uber does not own most of its assets and it does not have employees. So one has employees and assets, so they cannot really manage their variable costs because most of those are fixed. Uber basically has the ability to basically dial down its costs, both in assets and labor. So you're going to see a belief that costs have to be flexible. Therefore, I believe that the future of work for most individuals is going to basically, all of us are going to be gig workers, though many of us will have longer term gigs with better benefits. What I mean by that is every company, make no mistake, is recognizing that people are almost as productive at work and sometimes even more productive for most factors, not all factors, but for most factors. And they've allowed companies to do three key things. They've allowed companies to now access talent from anywhere in the world. 
They've allowed companies to significantly reduce real estate and other costs. And third is obviously find a way to go global virtually, which is much easier to do than global physically. So there's going to be this basic belief, as I've indicated to every individual, you are a company of one, even if you're working in a company of 80,000. And finally, those, those shifts, which is that society is going to shift, the way business works is going to shift, the future of labor is going to basically shift, is going to basically create a new strange in that it is very unlikely that business travel will ever return to what it was. In fact, even the most bullish airlines are basically saying it'll come back to about 70% of what it used to be. And I think that is probably a little too much. On the other hand, individual travel, which is us traveling to meet families, follow those dreams that we wanted to do, are likely to come back even further. We're likely forever to basically, even after we're all vaccinated, be much more sensitive to safety and hygiene than ever before. All these hygiene and safety moves that have been put in will continue to sort of expand. So, you know, I always tell people, if you think it's going to be the new normal, why don't you just Google pictures of what it is like in South Korea, which is different than China, but in South Korea and other places, they still have major protocols that they're managing. And I also believe new normal believes that you're going to go back and restart things. I believe, no, you're going to have to reinvent and start things new. That is amazing. In fact, just to add to that, you know, just today I was reading a news about uh, uh, one of your, uh, uh, you know, one of the industry competitors and uh, the, the network that I sold my company into, Densu, is looking to sell its $2.9 billion building in Tokyo, which is which I have had the good fortune of, of visiting as well, and which was uh, in, in my time in Densu considered a crown jewel. And they are looking to sell it and lease it back for just 50% of the space, uh, purely because of what this pandemic has done. Uh, and, and it clearly hints to the point that you're making about variable costs and about the gig working uh, economy. So more on that, because, you know, 38 years of advertising and marketing experience in hindsight, uh, what does your foresight tell you uh, for this decade uh, from, uh, uh, you know, with, with deep tech, AI, uh, uh, startups getting funded, uh, MarTech, AdTech, where do you see the business of marketing and ad advertising going, especially with this, uh, you know, pandemic year that we've had, which has accelerated all, all kinds of digital transformation, uh, you know, maybe five years faster than it was supposed to happen. Yes. So I believe that looking forward, there are going to be six big shifts. So the first big shift is there is going to be a continued acceleration to globalization of everything. So there are people in the West who believe that globalization is in decline. The only globalization that is in decline is a Western-centered, Western-flavored globalization. We have moved to a multipolar globalization. 18 of the 20 busiest shipping ports in the world are no longer in either Europe or America. So globalization is happening, but it is much more multipolar versus US or 
you know, UK or Europe centric. So that's number one, because if you think about it, both with the internet and with virtual and cloud, the future Athens and the future New York cities will exist in the cloud as much as it will be anywhere. And that will be the first thing. The second is different countries obviously will be driven in different ways, but most countries are at places where demographic shifts have reached a point of no return in the way the flavor of that country changes. So give you an idea. You mentioned Japan. Japan is going to lose a third of its population between now and 2050 because the Japanese are not having children. The women aren't particularly interested in getting married and they do not allow immigrants. So it's a country whose population will be declining by a third. And if they don't do anything by two thirds, by 2100. And therefore there's a different mindset. If you look at China and India, in India, it's a younger country, average age 21. China, an older country, average age near 35 and 36. So, you know, because of the one-child policy, there's going to be some social and other challenges that country has. And on the other hand, India has defined 15 to 20 million new jobs every year, so they don't end up like Egypt and other places where you have very large unemployment among young people, which leads to issues. The third one is technology. And the reason I don't go to technology first is we sometimes overemphasize technology. We live in a real world and demographics still matter. So for instance, in the United States, sticking to that demographic topic, the United States is next year going to become multi-ethnic under 21 years old. Another way of saying it is Caucasian minority. I remind people building walls and tweeting does not stop the United States from becoming multi-ethnic you have to kill everybody under 21 years old. That game is over. At the same time, the US for the first time is aging. 10,000 people are turning 65. And the third is there is a significant and growing divide between the rural areas of the country and the urban areas of the country. All of these things you can see had impact on the politics of the country, who was voting where. You're beginning to see it as backlashes against a group of people don't want the changes because they do not recognize the country they grew up in. All of these things are playing all over the world. So demographic and global changes are two. Technology is the third of the six shifts. And in that, we are entering what I call the third connected age. So the first connected age with the World Wide Web was about sharing or, or, or discovering information. And it was about buying things. We called it search and e-commerce. In 2007, we got to the second age where we added to that first age because of mobile phones, we were connected all the time. And because of social networks, we were connected to everybody. And as a result, we had the rise of both social and mobile in addition to search and e-commerce. We've now entered the third age, which builds on the first two, where data is connecting to data, which is machine learning and AI, much faster forms of connection like 5G, new ways of connecting, which voice is the first one, potentially AR and VR. And we're all going to be connected to the great God in the sky called the cloud. And anybody who has a Amazon Echo or a Google Home has a third connected age device. The only thing that isn't in that device is 5G because it still uses broadband, but it will eventually also use 5G. And when that happens, the impact on marketing is going to be very, very big. 
it's no longer just going to be about, okay, search and e-commerce and social and mobile, which have already changed marketing. It's going to change the way companies operate. Every unit is going to basically, every element of things are going to basically be potential, both marketing outreaches as well as data sort of sucking devices or interactions. So in that shift, I think marketing is going to be about experiences. It's going to be about business transformation. It's going to be less and less, but not, not necessarily about communication. And creativity is going to become more important, but defined as a combination of connecting things in new ways and new ideas, and not necessarily only can you be creative on film or on a magazine ad. So those That's are the very, three. Very... Yeah, so those are the three big first three shifts. And the next three are very simple. And those are the implications on people and society. So the first is, I've always believed that modern technology gives people godlike power. And as a result, marketing is going to grow more important in the future because marketing is going to be the way through broadly organizing companies, organizing interactions, that companies are going to differentiate themselves. They're not going to differentiate themselves on just data because most companies don't have significantly differentiated data. Data is like electricity. You can't operate without it but very few companies can differentiate with it as they move into the future. So marketing will be the differentiator, not finance, not data, not technology, because all of those are going to be accessed through the cloud, just in time, et cetera. I remind people that the Kardashian sisters have built bigger cosmetic brands over the last two years than L'Oreal or Coty or anybody else with 50 to 60 employees, um, you know, a Instagram account, a Shopify use of e-commerce. So this whole idea that, you know, this is all about communication and the old form of creativity doesn't make sense, but also the idea that marketing is not going to be important doesn't make sense. Marketing is going to be important and you're going to see CMOs finally on the boards of companies. The other factor really is a societal factor, which is in effect, there's a good side and a bad side of all these modern technologies. We have seen that all over the world. We've clearly seen it recently in the United States. I've been warning about this for two years. I've written pieces called It's Time to Optimize for the Citizen and Not the Consumer, a talk I gave to 700 people two years ago, where I said, due to polarization, the breakdown in trust and modern technology of enragement versus engagement, we are going to break down our society. You saw on January 6th in the United States, half the people basically, because of social media, are deluded. They believe their flatulence smells like Chanel 5. So that is the downside of some of these modern <laughs> technologies. And we're going to have to think about how to do that. And finally, the sixth one, which is the biggest change, is we are both simultaneously going to have godlike power as individuals. But because the world is going to be continuously connected and moving forward, there's going to be a new emphasis on learning. There's going to be a new emphasis on growth. And my basic belief is if you don't invest at least an hour a day in learning and continue to stay relevant, you won't keep up. So those are the shikshas. That is, that is fascinating. Uh, I want to delve a bit deeper into this uh, notion that you just or this, this statement that you just made, which is uh, marketing will be the differentiator. And 
with this you know flux state of uh, technology the changing nature of work uh, the changing nature of creativity uh, the 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 uprising of consumer brands that are digitally driven um, there are two parts to this there's a part of uh, the service providers who help large brands market themselves uh, you know a company that you are a part raising network uh, how are they transforming or how do you see them transform over the next decade and what would you be telling uh, the the large behemoths of today uh, how should they transform their marketing approach uh, for the next decade what should they be doing or experimenting or you know trying to think of it uh, so as to stay with this these times in especially with all, all these things in flux as we just discussed i believe there are three different types of companies that there's no one silver type of bullet but in the service industry there's obviously going to be the large companies which i will address there are also going to be the unique companies that are basically focused on either certain new things like for instance how do i leverage influencers or you know someone might particularly focus on something that's coming new and then there are a third type of companies that are roll ups on new skill sets uh, sort of like martin sorrells s4 me and mr jones stagwell group and i believe that the large marketers will combine these three types of companies to address what they have they aren't going to basically say I'm just going to go to these new roll-ups because the world is all digital, or I'm going to go to the boutiques because they're cute, or I'm going to go to the large companies because they can handle everything. They're going to mix and match these based on certain things. With regard to the large companies, the large you know holding companies, etc., uh, all of them are changing in different ways. I obviously know one better than I know the others, which is the one I worked at, and you know. that one for which i have a great deal of heart and i have a great deal of belief that they are probably going to do very well has basically decided that they need to think of themselves in a way to help their clients grow in a platform age that we're living in a platform age that and the platforms doesn't necessarily mean just the media platforms like a google and a facebook but you know walmart is a platform as much as anything else so there are all these platforms our clients are grappling with that we are living in a platform age and in a platform age you know companies basically have data at the core they have networks they have direct to consumer but at the same time they need creativity media individual identity and how do we help them with that and in that particular area at least the publicist group has been on a 10 year journey which will never end but we've got to a place where i think we're in a good place which has involved everything from major investments in companies first in digital like digitas and razorfish then in uh business transformation like sapient then in the world of data with companies like epsilon that's number one second a complete reframing and reorienting of the company to have a focus on clients and countries while keeping an emphasis on brands but much more client and country 
changing PNL structures, changing organizational structures, uh, integrating the entire company with a backbone called Marcel, which allows the whole company, uh, all 80,000 people to work as a company of one. And finally, a major investment in training uh, and education to build the skill sets that are necessary. So that is what one company, which is Publicis, is doing. And after you know, a decade, especially a tough two, three years, I think they're going to do particularly well. So do I believe that the other companies are. You know, WPP is following a, a model which is somewhat similar, two or three years behind, but somewhat similar. Um, Omnicom, I don't know exactly what their strategy is, but they're very smartly run by very smart people. They will have one. So in effect, all of these companies recognize that in order to remain relevant, they're going to basically have to change everything from the way they operate organizationally, from their skill set, and how they flexibly interrelate, not only across their own organizations, but with their clients, other partners. That's very, very interesting. And, and how do we then take this for uh, the brands uh, per se? Uh, with so much uh, uncertainty, so much change happening so rapidly, uh, where where do you see a CMO or even a CEO? Uh, uh, you know, what would be your advice for that CEO? What are the two or three things uh, that he or she should start investing in today uh, so that they bear fruit over this coming decade? Uh, and in, in specific, so, uh, from a transformation standpoint, yeah. So from a, from a transformation standpoint, the first thing I would tell every CEO is that they should spend at least an hour every day learning new things and that they should make sure that at least 25% of their board meeting has people from outside their industry coming in and talking to them. And if possible, make sure that they have either their CMO on the board or their CMO attending certain board meeting sections. That unless you have an outside perspective, a customer perspective, and a learning mindset, whatever else you do is total and complete BS. Because the only way a company changes is when the people change. Yes, M&A and strategy and communications are important, but that is not how a company changes. A company changes when people improve, when you have outsider viewpoints and diversity of thinking, and to do that, you basically have to manage talent extremely well. You have to consider new incentive and compensation programs, and you have to spend a lot of money in training. That's the day-to-day -day continuous thing that organizations continuously miss, and they have all these change agendas without thinking about it, that everything is easy, but people get in the way. So number one is pay attention to upgrading, trading, and bringing in diverse talent and skill sets. That's one, including into your board. And don't have like a challenger board. Get some young people or new mindsets onto your board. This whole idea of a challenger board is pretty ridiculous. Usually the challenger board is better than the actual board. Come on, people. So that's, you know, the, the, so that's the first thing I would do. The second thing that I would basically do is recognize that in the world that we're living in, what are you going to focus on? How do you have flexibility within every part of your company? And at the same time, what are you going to basically fundamentally partner with? Which is, 
you know, very few companies have the capability, the wealth to be vertically integrated. There are very few companies that can do what Apple is doing, which is basically integrate everything. But even Apple, who integrates everything, outsources all manufacturing. Right? Interesting. So they're a design company. They design everything from their devices, their stores to their chips, etc. But it's, you know, fabbed and created in Taiwan Semiconductor or in Foxconn or other kinds of places. So this whole idea of I can do it all, well, even Apple, which is held out as a vertical integrating model, cannot do it all. What are you good at? What are your competitive advantages? How do you plug and play with other people? Because plugging and playing in a networked and connected age is extremely important. Companies that have learned to basically plug and play, like Microsoft, which during the bomber age was all about Windows, 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 and went nowhere. When Satya Nadella came in, he basically said, I'm going to go from a know-it-all mindset to a learn-it-all mindset, which was a talent thing. So I'm going to be open. So he bought GitHub, got rid of Nokia, and also decimated and destroyed the Windows operating division. And so today, their stock price has gone up four times because they basically have built APIs to open. They're focused primarily on businesses and enterprise with the exception of Xbox, uh, which by the way, Xbox allows them to not only be on the top of processors, but also cloud-based computing and the next generation of delivery, which fits into their business. But to have a strategy on not basically saying, I'm gonna piss in a big fat circle so diluted that nobody knew I pissed. Hmm. Makes sense. <laughs> Interesting. So. Uh, yes, uh, Rishad, um, I, I'd love for you to, uh, you know, tell us uh, where do you think uh, are the key areas where uh, the marketers and the agency networks can fail miserably in the coming decade? So the three areas I believe that they can, but at least most of the people that I know are smart enough to avoid it but maybe there are some people who aren't. So I'm talking to those people because not just my own organization, but a lot of my organizations who compete with mine, as well as many clients uh, are much more sophisticated than most people give them credibility or credence for, but there are enough people who may not have that. So for those, there are three places they're gonna fail. The first place they're gonna fail is the point that I keep making is by not paying enough attention to the fact that you can't change without people and by not investing enough in people and in training and in all those kinds of things. Uh, that's number one. By basically thinking that the skin and the cosmetics that you put on something can basically make, you know, putting a lipstick on a pig still is a pig with lipstick. It hasn't changed, okay? So that is, I think, you know, one, one particular thing. The second one is a basic yeah. belief that they, themselves as leaders don't have to change. You know, they always believe everyone else has to change. And sometimes, you know, a very, very uh, famous line, and I, th I heard this as a story, so I'm not sure whether this is true, but I think it is. So when Best Buy had a new CEO, not the current new CEO, but the CEO prior to this, his name was, I think, Mr. Jolly. And when he came on, Best Buy was in trouble. And someone basically asked him what he thought about management change. And his answer was, yes. 
Do you get it? What do you think about <laughs> management change? Yes. So in many cases, management themselves are the problem. They look everywhere else, right? But you find that they are stuck in the mud in mindsets and containers of the past. I'm not saying all management, but some management. Um, so what is in addition to having the talent? Hey, by the way, you yourself need to get better, which is in a second. The third, which is I think the one that I most worry about is not thinking broadly enough about your category and who your competitive and opportunity set are. And that is usually, uh, and the fourth one is culture. So let me talk about those two. On your competitive and category sets, uh, which also sort of ties in with culture, is you know after, after the Great Recession, uh, General Motors and Ford went back to doing business as usual. But guess what was born there? Tesla and Uber. They never sold them mm. as competitors till it was too late, mm. right? Nokia and Sony did not consider Apple to be a competitor because they said that's a computer company. And those days it was actually called Apple Computer, right? So, Nokia refused to recognize that future differentiation was not gonna be hardware, but software. You know, Gillette and Schick continued to add blades, increase prices and make the blades warm and vibrate and did not notice that in an age of mobile phones and social and broadband YouTube, you could launch a company using a combination of social network sampling and YouTube advertising called Dollar Shave Club. Yep. So the tragic mistake is I always basically believe that benchmarking against your competitors just makes you less pathetic than other pathetic people because the opportunities and threats always come from outside your category. And that leads me to culture. Why don't you recognize this? You don't recognize it because you do not have a culture that allows someone to call out what I say is the turd on the table. Often we sit in meetings and rooms where everybody basically knows something is wrong. There's something brown in the middle of the table and we all believe and pretend it's a brownie when it's a piece of shit. But you basically have a culture where if anybody basically speaks up, they're either scared, they're demoted, they're left out. And so you have all these leaders talking about change and innovation, but they basically decimate and punish people who basically say the emperor wears no clothes. Fabulous. Amazing. Uh, uh, Richard, uh, you know, I have a smile on my face uh, all throughout when you're talking because these are like truth bombs, brother. Uh, uh, and and it's, it, I want to, uh, you know, bring our amazing, I mean, we could go on for hours, but, you know, we want to make sure that people hear the whole thing, you know, with the patients in the online audience. Uh, we, we, I, I would want to uh, bring into a question which, uh, you know, if you want, you may want to pass if you don't want to give out uh, an idea. But if you had, you know, let's say uh, a million or $10 million, or if you could, you know, start over again today and, and invest your next 10 years into one single idea for this decade, uh, as Rishad, where would you invest that time and money? As one basic idea, I would invest that time and money on how to help people realize their potential. Interesting. Because I believe 
that the single biggest unmined opportunity for every individual company and society is the gap between what someone is capable of doing and what someone does. And that gap is a combination of either a lack of opportunity that they do not have the money to pursue the training or a lack of education, right one, even though they have the money or the inability to wake up and realize that there is something better that they can achieve and they don't see, think and feel differently in time so that they can actually grow themselves and their companies. Super. Rishad, in conclusion, I'd want to, uh, you know, you have written a fabulous book, but rather than me talking about it, I would want you to give like a two minute teaser sure. uh, to our listeners as to Perfect. what this. Perfect. Perfect. So, why so, should they uh, so, order it on Amazon? Yeah. So you can get on Amazon by typing in R-I-S-H-A-D and it's available all over the world um, or in any you know, bookstore. The book is called Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data. And it basically helps people literally see, think, and feel differently about how to grow themselves, their teams, and their business. Every chapter is like a freestanding book. It's like a Spotify playlist. You can read any chapter in any order. Um, broadly, the book helps provide solutions and practical advice on four areas, how to think about the future, how to manage change so it sucks less, how to lead with soul, and how to continuously upgrade your mental operating system. It has been named by economists as potentially the best book in 2020 on stakeholder capitalism. Strategy and business called it the best marketing book and one of the seven best books of the year. And it has a pretty good number of reviews with an average rating of about 4.6 on five. So that's one. But in a way to get you to understand whether I can think well or whether I can write well, I would point you to something where you do not have to spend any money, though I would love you to buy my book. Uh, and that is to go to the rishad.substack.com where every Sunday, I write something that takes no more than seven or eight minutes to read. The topics change. And as has been mentioned, it could be the future of work. It could be art and technology. It could be how to manage time, or it could be about the importance of learning from jazz music and company organization. Listeners, I've had a great time uh, interacting with Rashad earlier and going through his uh, writings and, and reading his book. I, I wholeheartedly recommend that you do that as well. Uh, Rishad, uh, this conversation has been filled with uh, true bombs, uh, candid stuff, uh, and you calling uh, a spade a spade. And I can't thank you enough for that. Uh, I think the future of work, uh, as well as your take on what kind of profound impact COVID-19 is going to have on not just this year, but the many coming years, uh, you know. Yes. Uh, thank you yes. so much for your time and taking out time to uh, do this with us. Uh, and uh, we look forward to 
you know, reading more about all your thoughts about the future on your blog, uh, and hopefully in another book that you write soon. Uh, thanks so much. Absolutely. For, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Transformation Talks podcast hosted by Rajiv Dingra, founder and CEO of RDNX Network. Tune in next week for another interesting episode. Thank you.